a human experience. It's a way to connect deeply with ourselves, with the parts of ourselves that were not accessed, fully um, acknowledged and appreciated and expressed. This is Nasa Alsugayer and welcome to Chapters of My Life podcast. So what is Chapters of My Life podcast? First of all, I want you to imagine your past life. Right, where should I start? I'm Daniel Ludwig, trainer and leadership coach by profession, and I'm always fascinated to look back in life and turn your life stories in form of a book for other generations to learn from, but also for yourself as self-reflection and to gain new life energy. It's a challenge itself, and frankly, not everyone has thought of this. As we always think, when we get older, we should write our own life book. But in fact, we have so many experiences ready to share with others, achievements, failures to learn from, positive and negative life transitions, which in the end lead to the person we are today. This Chapters of My Life podcast is an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audio book format, capturing the willpower and belief of people during important life-changing decisions. Over two years ago, I interviewed NASA. For the long-time listeners out there, you might remember episode on Life Book 6 of NASA's book, Life Without a Script. Since that time, a lot has happened. New life chapters all about human experiments. Yes, you heard it right, human experiments. He founded the Human Lab, an interactive space to practice being human. His mission is to support people in the Middle East and North Africa, MENA area, to belong and feel more connected to themselves, others and the world. In this Chapters of My Life add-on edition, we talked about the five new chapters in NASA's life, from connecting with themselves towards what improvisation means and what we understand under an identity crisis. Let go of all expectations and try everything is a message NASA wants to give back to young people while finding their community. We recorded over the internet and there are some audio hiccups that's the moment you realize that the far distance recording has its ups and downs in times of COVID-19. Nevertheless, great virtual catch-up which shows a life has many chapters, even in a short time. Let's get started. Enjoy Chapters of My Life add-on episode 29 with NASA Elsugaya. Enjoy. So here we are. Thanks, NASA, for taking the time. Today, far away from greetings from Munich to Dubai, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Always um, excited about conversations with you. Thanks, Nasa. Same on my side too. It's been a while. It's actually quite a long time, over two years um, since our last recording. Do you remember the moment when we recorded? <laughs> yes, I remember the room, the small room we were stuck at. Um, I remember the atmosphere. I remember, I remember, I remember myself and you so well. We were so young and so foolish. If I may say about you, I can say about myself for sure. I mean, you're talking like it would be, it was ages ago, but it's actually true. It's over two years ago and a lot of things happened in these two years. And, um, 
I mean, one of the reasons it's also mentioned what I, uh, what I actually said in the beginning and in the intro is that, you know, I really want to know what happens since our last recording in May 2018. And so many things happened, uh, which I'm very keen to go into a little bit with you now in the next hour, but also uh, to learn more what actually changed uh, about your book. Um, in the book, which we started to record in 2018, where you said, you know, you're going to have a book called Life Without a Script. And um, one thing which I kept in mind just before the preparation of this call was that you described yourself in this book as a minimalist coach and hippie. Nasa, who, how would you describe yourself now? Good question. Because I went through that description of myself that I wrote about myself, and it's kind of like the story that I told myself about myself, and it doesn't, it doesn't match at all or get close to the story that I told myself about myself now. Um, it's, it's a good question. I don't know what, what I call myself now, but definitely not that, <laughs> what we just mentioned. I say that right now I am becoming um, more and more grounded. Um, I, I, I don't know what titles I can use for that, but I can say I'm a grounded Nasser, uh, much more connected with uh, the people around me and much more present in the world around me. I feel that I can, I'm connected with nature, I'm connected with the, the interconnectedness with, I feel the interconnectedness between everything in the universe around me much more than I was before. Before that, I was living in a Nasser's world that I invented for myself. Okay. In which world are you living now? Kind of like living in a, in a world that does not belong to me alone, belongs to everybody else. Nice. When I looked into... Um, the last recording in your last um, book, I mean, you had the title Life Without a Script, but you also said that the cover should look like random letters forming into words and sentences. And I was wondering, would it be still the same cover after two and a half or two years now? Would it be still the same cover for you if you would rewrite your book, life book? I think not. Uh, with all respect to my uh, all <laughs> younger Nasser, thank you very much. Your value, your opinions are valued. Um, I think I will have a coverless book. Coverless book, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Just um, a book of like just random scraps, and it, probably the paper is old and with holes in it and dirty with spills of coffee and. I just want to have an imperfect book that is also rebellious over all other books that exist out there. Nice. It's going to be closer to the used books out there, okay. but rebellious to the newer version. So it's going to be like a brand new book, Nasser, but it's totally mess, a complete mess. <laughs> a brand new book, but in which, which section would that book be when you, when you go to the library? In what section? Could I find that coverless book? It would, it would be in, uh, I'd say, uh, something like um, Lost Autobiographies. 
<laughs> it'll be something yes yes it'll be something like discovered after thousands of years but like there existed a person his name was Nasser and this was his book that's nice um everybody's gonna read it while I'm alive I'm just that's, that's my intention yes I'm just imagining it right now because when I you know your very last chapter I mean we had our recording back in May 2018 before COVID-19 before, you know, the time where living was normal. Now we are we're living in different times. But your last chapter, that was chapter number seven, you, you called it Finding Clarity in Confusion. And you talked a little bit more about expanding uh, towards improvisation techniques to helping others to find their passion in life. Would you say that that chapter is finished and you started your new chapter in 2018? Or what happened since the last recording? I love your questions. And I also love where we ended our conversation. Because we ended at a place where I'm not saying that my book is fully clear, like what usually you might want to think of your own book or your own life, like as if like it was complete and I well spent. And it's great where I am right now and trying to look at the positive in my life, but rather than ending on a low note saying, I'm confused. I don't know where the hell I am right now in life. And I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go from here. So just remembering that chapter of the book <laughs> um, made me smile and also made me proud of myself of ending on that note. I'd say that a lot have changed to answer your question. Yes, so much has changed. Um, I definitely have more clarity. I equally have confusion as well, but it's a different type of confusion. It's more of like a, a curious, um, curious interest and confusion about the mysteries of life. Like not knowing exactly what life holds for us as humanity, especially at this time. I feel so much curious and interested about knowing how things will change over the coming decades because we are at a step of an evolutionary leap that we can really feel heavily in our own personal and also collective uh, lives. So definitely yeah. I'm not at a place of confusion, the same confusion, type of confusion that I had two years ago, but I'm at a totally different type of like shared confusion with everybody else in the world, which I value and cherish um, no matter how difficult and tough it is to feel it right now. Nice. Yeah, it's, um, it's very difficult right now, I mean, for everyone around the world. And I think it's also a way for us to listen to ourselves, to really listen to our gut feelings um, and to reflect actually uh, our daily behaviors um, and yeah, you know, our daily behaviors more or less. When it comes to, now, so when it comes to um, 2018, um, after our recording, Tell us a little bit more what have changed in since that time, since our last recording uh, in 2018. Yeah, not so much. Just quit my job, started a business. Um, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You quit your job to start a new business. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no big deal. Just a few things. Not a big deal. It's okay. The, <laughs> that was, a, that was a, um, an emotional ride, a crisis, I would call them. I love crises. I'm a master designer of crises. I... Uh, I don't avoid crises. I'm talking about identity crises, deep-seated 
um, crises that flips your world around. Um, those type of crises that I'm a big fan of. So I've been through that identity crisis and I've designed it to be um, <laughs> the, um, something like a, a, a huge leap for my in my life. So yeah, just take it step by step. I'm happy to just go step by step. So first of all, I quit my job, my day-to-day -day job, which I loved. And I still really value everything that I've experienced in my job. No matter, like it felt difficult to quit it, but at the same time it felt so easy because I knew that this is where I was going to launch all my work from. So it was my rock for my next uh, thing to do. I didn't know what was the next thing to do or I had an idea of what was the next thing that I wanted to do. And uh, yeah, I started my business and my business was a, so my job was in an entrepreneurship center and I used to do a lot of training and facilitation um, and a lot of focus on the younger generation, um, specifically students and fresh grads and young professionals. And from there, that totally changed. So I started my business in training and facilitation for both public and for corporate. Um, but then at that time, as I started doing work and then with word of mouth, I was able to land a couple of jobs here and there and I had really good clients. I also continued my, meanwhile, my, um, my cycle of uh, creating theater. So making theater, that was an interesting experience I really loved. Um, so I kept going on. That was at the time, if I remember yeah, correctly, that was the time when I created and co-directed an improvised musical piece so it was a theater show, an improvised musical. Everything is improvised. The songs, the lyrics, the the music, and on the spot on the stage. So that went on for six weeks um, on stage. Um, it was called Muse, the improvised musical. Um, another thing that I've done afterwards was... Um, I would say I didn't do, but happened to me, um, which I appreciate, which I fell into a chronic sicknesses, um, constant feeling of exhaustion, breakdown, collapse, um, physically, emotionally, and mentally. Um, mm. And I kept getting, I remember getting flu again and again before COVID. Hey guys, don't worry. That was before COVID time. Um, and I wasn't wearing masks. But, um, but that's fine. And now I make sure that I wear masks and that I don't have right now any symptoms so you can continue listening to this. Um, I kept feeling, falling sick like every now and then. And every time I heal, I get back more flu, more sickness, allergy, all kinds of things. Um, and that was a signal for me to stop, which is what I did. Completely by May, quit everything. Meaning, I stopped the business that I started, put it on hold completely. You're talking about May 2019. May 2019. Yes. 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 Yeah. So it's kind of like um, from the time I can't remember exactly like the time, of um, that like how many months have been since I started my company, but I basically stopped my business, quit theater, stopped acting, stopped directing, creating uh, theater. Um, pretty much I was just sitting in silence and doing nothing, connecting with nature, being able to 
connect into that thing that is trying to call for me in my body. Mm. Wait, let me let me go back a few months beforehand because I kept following you at that time also remote and on Instagram and uh, social media a little bit about your improvisation uh, journey. Um, you you were more or less not just fascinated. You were part of an improvisation environment pretty much everywhere uh, we went actually you, you told me at that time also a lot about improvisation uh, techniques about what's going on around the world what is actually improvisation and um, for you now when you look back or at that time actually at that time what was improvisation for you what was improvisation for you was it a technique? Was it an escape? Was it for you a way to express? What was improvisation for you? A lot of the people in the world of theater, many of the people who practice theater, make theater, um, especially in the improvisational theater, think of it as an entertainment. For me, I found it as something that is a human experience. It's a way to connect deeply with ourselves, with the parts of ourselves that were not accessed fully um, acknowledged and appreciated and expressed because it was creating things in the moment right now. So it was emergent spontaneity that just came in the, on the spot. And uh, that's what I loved about it. I loved about it that it was also a really fun way to develop human beings. And, and then my company was, when I started it, it was fully based on using improv as a way to create team building. Um, for corporates and also creating the games and the activities as a way to develop soft skills. Um, so the improv then was something that I want that I felt it was a deep way to connect with my humanness and help others um, facilitate the process of deep diving into themselves and the parts that they're not really exercising or expressing. Yeah, it's very interesting that um, for everyone who is listening, obviously you only heard the audio. I currently see actually Nasr on the video. When I just observed him in the last few seconds uh, on seeing him in this video, and he, when he has mentioned about creating it in the moment, uh, Nasr, your eyes were actually shining. And it's very interesting, actually, because it's also a little bit related to what you do today. But from that time back then, what is so fascinating for you to create something in the moment? Uh, to inspire people in the moment. What is so fascinating for you? I think the authenticity, genuineness, that we're not inventing something from the scratch, but merely building on off of what is present in the moment and to a deeper spiritual layer that's also I fully feel and acknowledge is this feeling of like we're channeling something that we're at flow and then there's something that's coming through us as actors. That it is not only a play. There is something that's bigger than us and this stage is a sacred space where I get a feeling of surrender and, um, and empowerment at the same time. It's both, which is kind of paradoxical. Um, but I've, I feel like that was the thing that really helped me so much love um, improv and value it. And you, you said the word flow just now. Um, and I was, 
I attended one of your um, plays as well. I remember very well at that time also you, you mentioned a lot the word flow. And you just mentioned about, you know, the actors are in the flow. Um, is the audience also in the flow or are they in a different state? There's this uh, beautiful concept that, um, that I refer to always whenever I direct and create shows. And uh, kind of like I fool my actors and I tell them that this is what's going on and they buy it. That's the funny part. I tell them that there is a cloud above us somewhere and that that cloud is sending us, it's like raining ideas and beautiful channeling, beautiful creativity. And all we have to do is to just tap into that and be under the cloud. And the moment that we feel dry and that, hey, we ran out of it, then I tell them just change position on the, on the stage and find that cloud. And so I think that cloud is not just a cloud that's above the actor. It's a cloud that goes above everybody in that room. And it's not just everybody in that room, but also above every, every single person whom that or people in the room they have met. It's because people are coming with their past experiences. People are coming with their um, whatever future visions of how they see life. And then there is this moment of connection. And the connection is the biggest discovery for me about building shows and theater and improv is that connection is a facilitator for a group channeling of inspiration. So we are in the room. We're the ones, all of us, we're the audience creating that scene. I have seen fascinating scenes being created on the spot that after we finished the show we've discovered that the people in the audience have had a similar experience exactly the same experience and it was very unique and specific hmm. uh, like someone's land um was an uh had an oil field and then it was sold and then it was a farm and then someone's grandfather I, I can't remember the details of that, but the beauty of it is actually someone in the audience turned out to be having that. So that experience, which is very unique and specific. And how did it come through the actor's mind? It came through that connection. And we're all tapping into that cloud, but then the facilitator of that group and uh, collective uh, channeling of creativity and wisdom comes through connection. Mm -hmm. At that time, um, back in 2018, 2019, when you, as you said, you'd be truly connected to the audience. Um, what do you want the audience to take away after the play? If it's a one or two hour being, being really deeply connected with the audience, you are kind of disconnected afterwards, right? You're not going to see them afterwards. But what do you want the audience to take away what lessons, what experience do you want them to take away afterwards in their day-to-day -day life? First, the connection with themselves. The connection with themselves, and that means with everything, not just thinkings and thoughts, and not just how the show went and what, should, what the character should have done or what was the difficult part of the experience of the character and so on. And it's not, it's not about it was a good show or a bad show. That was what, that's only just one part of it. The other part is that emotional imprint that stays with a person from having connected with that part of themselves at a deeper level, on a physical and emotional level. Um, of, of, it could be something that resonated or it could be something that contrasted their experience. Like something they deeply 
pictures and they found familiar to, to their lives. Oh, the character actually loves uh, apples. Oh, I also love apples. I actually eat apples the same way the character explained how they eat the apples. Or it could be, oh, the character um, is, um, it, it, it does not care for animals, but I care for, for like for the, for every, every beings, every life. Every life is sacred out there. We should care for animals. And that contrasts my opinion. But then that also leaves an emotional imprint. It could be an anger, not just a feeling of like, oh, love or a feeling of um, um, resonance, but it can also a feeling of like contrasting, like um, conflicting uh, ideas. So that emotional imprint is what I'm always interested in because that's, and I call it imprint because it stays and it, yes. it, it, it lasts. And we don't, we don't necessarily, that, like, if you ask the audience after a couple of years to come back and you ask them about the show, they won't remember the details. They may not even remember the story, but they would remember how that show made them feel. That's what I'm looking for, and that's what I always really get excited about. I mean, there's this famous quote, I uh, can't remember who that said, but um, someone actually mentioned that recently on Instagram, who said that, you know, people don't remember what has been told, uh, but they remember how they've been treated or how people treated them. Right. And that's right. actually very true. It's something very similar to what you said as well. People ex remember how you treated them, but not necessarily just in, in words. Yeah, exactly. It's the feeling that is left with us. Exactly. I think this is the, it's the long lasting experience in the end of the day, the feelings which you put in them um, and how, how they transform that after, after the stage. It's very interesting. Um, NASA, for what you said about the identity crisis you had um, 2018-2019, tell me a little bit more about that moment where you were in that identity crisis. Um, do you think that was, how to, refer, how to say that, do you think that was needed when you now reflect, now you look back? Or would you say that was just a matter of time it needed to come um, after what you went through the months and years beforehand? This is an emotional moment for me. So let me first, before answer, give a little bit of context. Okay, I'm about sure. to exit my 20s in a few <laughs> days. So I'm about to become 30 on September 9th. Oh, okay. All gifts are welcome. So everyone... Everyone was currently listening. The moment you're listening, um, Nas already joined the club, the 30th club, most probably. <laughs> Too late. No, I still have three days. Let me enjoy them, Daniel. Uh, yeah, you can do your three days. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm still young, and I'm still in my 20s. Um, I'm really looking forward to my 30s. And uh, I just wanted to set the context since I'm about to leave my 20s. And I have experienced so many of those identity crises over the last decade. Um, it's been quite fascinating because every identity, the first identity crisis that I've been through, which was the one that was early on after graduation, it was when I was about in the process of like leaving engineering, like letting go of the idea that I've had to become an engineer. This idea of like, that status and money will come from that. So that was uh, something that I inherited and I was raised with in, in, in a culture that, in my culture, where 
they embrace lawyers, doctors, and engineers. Um, in Arabic, we call engineers bash muhandis, which is like a very high status. It's like amplified status. Um, and so leaving that was an identity crisis. And that, first of all, not feeling settled down while I'm in high status, because I was working in the, one of the like biggest multinational, the, the best I could ask for. And in multiple different fields that I kept even, I switched jobs. So that was my first identity crisis. And the first one was really difficult. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. I just felt uncomfortable. I just felt totally out of like, my, I'd say alignments with my values and goals. I didn't even know what my values and goals at that time because I was, I was just graduated from university in just the first year after that. So the reason why I mentioned the first identity crisis because the second one was also difficult, but it was less difficult. And uh, to pinpoint what that was, if I try to remember, that was the time when I left uh, one of the biggest multinational companies um, just four months after my promotion, just four months after my promotion, which is like I had a fast track career where my, my future was bright. It was super bright to the extent that that brightness frightened me. That brightness has made me feel so scared of what I was about to become. Not that what, has, what, has, what, I, what I was about to become was going to be an evil or a, a person who is like fully depressed, unhappy. No, it was just that it wasn't really exactly what I really wanted to become. But I had a fast track path to that. And so I had an identity crisis over there. But eventually I quit my job after four months and without any security. And I had that privilege. I really had that privilege, which I'm very grateful for. Of like, I had saved enough money to still be able to sustain myself and, well, and, and also living with my family. And you know, having that privilege that was available at the time, which I made use of. So that was also super difficult but it was less difficult than the first one because at least I knew what I was choosing rather than just leaving and not knowing what I'm choosing. But then after that, the next identity crisis was not just one that just happened. It was something that I really planned for, which is the one that I just quit, um, which the one I just described at the beginning of this episode. I just decided that, hey, let me just design my identity crisis. I feel unsettled. I feel that my, I'm out of alignment in my life. And I've done it before and I've seen those, like these identity crises and these decisions that may thought of as decisions that is disruptive um, from the external world. When you look at it, oh, he's destroying himself. What, what is he doing? He's leaving his job. Oh, please help him, save him. But to me, it was like, hey, this is what I want. I see it so clearly. I don't belong anymore and this story is ending it's dying and i i want to launch into my new story but then the third so this identity crisis that i designed was about how i can go into this space between the stories so yeah i feel my old story and my current story is dying and what i mean by that i mean i feel like i've grown enough in my experience right now that i start feeling a bit more stagnant in my life and I want to go to the next cycle of growth or evolution in my identity, in my whatever we call it, contribution and service to the world. 
And then the fear is, I don't know my new story. So where do I go from here? But what I designed is that I designed this idea of, which I heard from a beautiful, beautiful, um, one of my biggest influencers, um, I call him mentor. He doesn't know that I exist. Um, but I love his teachings. Um, where he talks about the space between the stories. His name is Charles Eisenstein. And the space between the stories where nothing happens, absolutely nothing happens, but everything can happen. The mm -hmm. possibilities are endless. I can launch into anywhere from that space of nothingness. Staying in that space of nothingness and between stories is something that I threw myself in and I stayed in for something. Okay, you mentioned, interesting, you mentioned, um, while I was just listening, you mentioned a lot the, the two words, identity crisis. And then in the end, was, uh, you also said the space between the stories. I mean, identity crises are kind of turning points in the space from one story to another. But would you also say identity crises are also identity opportunities? I love that. I use the word identity crisis because they actually in the moment at that time feel like crises it's like we're creating a world where we are really sucked into and it's such so difficult it's so difficult to get out of that world like i just i hate my life it's not what i want it's not anymore what i expected and so on and this is kind of like the thoughts and the yes. self-talk that happens and to your point i love that it's also an identity opportunity because it's an opportunity for an identity evolution because I'm, if I'm launching into something new that I don't know yet. And this overwhelm and all this self-talk and confusion is because the mind is cluttered, because the mind is unable to process and is, not, is unable to come up with a conclusion. It had served so well while I was growing in the old story like analyzing and coming up with, you know, solutions for problems and then, and being so specific about me coming up with action plans, implementing actions, it served me really well. Thank you, head. But then when identity crisis come in, what calls for help are basically the heart and the body. When you notice this, those identity crises, they come because there's an emotional suppression. So many feelings that want to come out they're suppressed or unable to be expressed or in words. And then the, the body like starts getting sick. The body starts feeling shaky, fidgeting. Uh, the, 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 like I've experienced so much in that, like in my physical body, that all of these were signals. Mm. They're signals that this old story is dying. And my body, my heart, which are also as wise as my head and my mind, also need to be brought into the picture. Hmm. Their voice is as important as the voice of the head. And so identity crisis, in my opinion, are 100%, I love what you said, they're opportunities. They're also an integration between hmm. all parts that were ignored. Yeah, I mean, often, I mentioned, or I, I mentioned that 
example with the identity crisis or I compared it with, with identity opportunity because usually we see the word crisis as negative or the society right. maturity sees it negative. And actually it's just a transition towards something which we might know or might not know what, or lead to a new chapter or new story, which we might know or might not know. And often we see too negative a crisis, but it's actually a much needed transition as also an opportunity to leave the old behind. And um, talking of behind, I want to actually quickly read you something. Uh, and you most probably know where it's from, but I want to read it out to you. Um, and I hope it's, it's written, uh, say it in a correct way. Um, it's okay to fall behind, make mistakes, embarrass yourself, not conform to society, live life your way, not be rich, famous, successful, look like an idiot. Miss Bill won't fail, fail more, and screw up what you want. As long as to yourself you are kind, to your truth you are aligned, and you always feel the peace of mind. You remember where I got this yes. from? Yes, yes. A wise young person, his name was Nasser. <laughs> yeah, it's still not there. Yes, it's uh, yeah, exactly. It's it's it's. Um, I mean, it's on your on on your homepage, and um, and when I was reading that, um, I kind of felt you wrote very very deeply from your heart. You also not just wrote this as a reminder for yourself, but also a reminder for everyone else out there. Um, what fascinated me the most was um, the first line when you said, it's okay to fall behind. Um, what, is the, what was the reason why you started with that? It's okay to fall behind. What was the reason behind? Thank you for, first of all, for reading out. This is really beautiful. Thank you for reading out this fact to me because it's totally different when I read it to myself or when I wrote it than if somebody else is reading it to me. And that was, <laughs> that was a really great reminder. Um, uh, in, in real time, if I would read it, I would turn on a nice background music and then, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's okay to fall behind. Most expectations from society and from almost everybody around us are expectations that were built for people, their self-expectations. So when somebody else is expecting something from me, they're actually expecting it most probably from themselves too. And so they're projecting the self-expectations onto others. So there's always this feeling of that there is somewhere a book, like we're talking about books being written. There are virtual books being written and they're flying in the sky and they're virtual, I'd say, manuals standard books for how life should be lived. Some of them make it into actual books and they get published, the how-to books and the books of self-development and some of them go into like and become YouTube uh, channels with videos on how to navigate life and so on. And some of them become posts on Instagram, inspirational quotes and so on. All these are standards, they're expectations beautiful wisdom as well um, that find their way into our lives. The way we receive them, we receive them as a set of instructions. 
we receive them as a way of life, an approach to life. They remind us of how life, in between quotes, quote unquote, should be lived. Mm. And this is where it becomes dangerous um, sometimes that we start to compare ourselves to others. We start to think that there is a track in life that we're not leading yet, and we have to go and find it. We start to think that I'm in a stage in my life where I haven't done this thing, I haven't achieved that thing, and so on. So if there is one thing that has changed completely over the last two years for me, especially during identity crisis that I've been exercising heavily in transition, is this self-compassion and self-kindness. Is being okay with not, not being up to the standards of those books and videos and, and podcasts and all kinds of like, if you're listening to this, this is also one of those flying guidelines, what I'm saying right now. And they, they are basically giving you expectations out there, what I'm saying right now. So it's okay if what I am saying and my experience does not find your way into your life. Totally fine. And it's okay if you're falling behind me or Daniel. It's yes. okay if you're falling. If, it's okay if I, and that applies to me, it's okay if I um, and Daniel are falling behind you. Um, and th that's why I started with that. And I also ended with that, if you notice the last bits of that. Mm. And you said in the last few sentences, as long as to yourself you are kind, to your truths you are aligned, and you always feel the peace of mind. It leads to peace of mind. It leads to clarity. It leads to maybe taking away the pressure of always competing with others or always trying to, you know, be like someone else. But keep forget you keep forgetting who you are actually on the race, always on the race of competition. And that's very important. Um, and I think it's also when I was reading this, is also kind of a reminder for young people in general. You mentioned you are going to join the club of the 30th <laughs> in a couple oh. of days. Um, what would you say to, the, to others in their 20s, early 20s, mid 20s, or people who are about to enter the club of the 20s? What would you tell them what you have learned in your 10 years your 20s yeah, i love this question it's making me feel more emotional now i will ask you the same um, when you turn 40 about your 30s <laughs> tell the people in their 30s why aren't the people in their 30s telling me anything right now i want to hear something help me out daniel oh now you're exposed <laughs> you're in your 30s <laughs> so tell me tell me what what you tell the young people in that what about to get 20 or in the early 20s? I say try. No, not just try. I mean, try everything. If you're in your 20s, this is the best phase in your life to just experience as many things as you can. And I'm not talking about as many things as you can from just one field or one area as many things as possible from as many fields as you can. Because this is a time when commitments are less and there's also energy. And there, there might be that privilege available. And I 
acknowledge that that privilege may not exist for others. But many when graduating from university, there might be that less pressure of like having to have a job in the first few months immediately after graduation. And if there is that pressure, which I know that most young people after graduation, they have that pressure. So they graduate that I have to have a find, I have to find a job. I have to have a job immediately. That is self-made pressure. People understand, especially in times of crisis right, like right now, people understand if you don't find a job. At my time, that was post-financial crisis, four years after that. So, and there were a job market, there was a job market. So when somebody was telling me you should find a job, why didn't you find a job? At least they had a little bit of a point over there that I didn't find a job, that I'm a loser, I'm a sucker, I don't know how to handle life and I'm not applying to enough jobs and so on. But right now, there is that little bit of an excuse for that, mm, I can't find a job, you know, the market is not going well. Mm. And then it's not just that, it's not just stop there, I couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a job, I'm trying these dozen things, or maybe one thing. It's not a bad number, it's about quality. And deep diving and becoming better in this area, in this field. So the first thing is try, try everything. And once again, these are not advice. This is not an advice for what you should do. This is a self-talk. This is a self-expectation for myself. That is too late. I'm exiting 20s. I only have three days to apply what I that's not what I'm saying to you. Still valid. Three days are enough. There, there are a lot. And st still a few days to go. Don't worry. No, no self-made pressure. No, sorry, as you just said. Sure. I can have a couple of more identity crises over there spread over like two days. I want to, I want to talk with you a little bit more about beginning or mid 2019. You said you had one of those. Sure. Um, I want to make sure. I'm sorry for interrupting you, Daniel, yeah, because I said try, try everything, and then I said this was number one. But I just want to make sure that whoever is listening is not feeling betrayed. I didn't tell them what number two is. Ah, go ahead. Yeah. Don't mind yeah. if I tell them number two? Uh, of course. Okay. I just promised it is because I said number one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. if, if you allow me, thank you for. <laughs> sorry for interrupting <laughs> no you. No worries. Number two is to let go of as many, if not all, expectations that are around you. Um, and by that, I mean, there are those expectations of like, I should be working, for example, that's a very classic expectation. I should be working in the field where I study. But then did, did anybody tell you that what most of the things that we study at university, 90% of what we study in school is not going to be applied in our jobs for most jobs, because the way that we're being schooled, if you don't know that yet. And you like the, the older the older audience listening to this are saying, oh, duh, this is obvious. We all know it. The young people do not know. They're still living the lie. Because I remember myself, and I don't know if you remember yourself when you were that young and you graduated from university, nobody told us that what we studied, 90% of it is not going to be applied. So this is not obvious. This might not be obvious to you, but everything almost everything that you've studied in university and graduated with may not be applied in your job. And that means one thing, it's not a depressing news, it's a beautiful news. Because you don't have to remember all these equations that you memorized all this knowledge that you like studied in the first year, a couple of years ago. Gone. 
what's gone it's gone now you're wise you have something written on a piece of paper that tells you that you know these things over the last four year four years even though you don't remember them but the beautiful thing about this is that you can launch anywhere you can go anywhere from here because anyways you're not going to apply your degree so there's nothing to lose but then there's this perception of like i am going to lose my degree i've spent so much money or my parents spent so much money or I'm going to be a, a failure because I don't have an experience in the new thing that I'm going to explore. But wait, nobody knows what they're going to do in their job. Most people do not know what they're going to do in their job because anyways, their degrees are not relevant to the job. So if you go into digital marketing, 90% of what you study in university is not applicable to what is in the market. Of course, it depends on the job and it's like I'm generalizing. But most of it is like that. So switching jobs and starting with different fields is actually my invitation, my second invitation to young, younger generation, people in their 20s. And then when they go into, uh, that's, that's uh, I'm just one last addition to this, Daniel, and then I'll go into number three, if that's okay. Sure, of course. And when you try, when you try something, and then it takes two to three years, in my experience, to mature in that field or in that skill or in that learning and to become so good at it. Like to move from, uh, I would say, from a beginner to intermediate, not to an expert within that time, depending on the field. But after two to three years, you'll start to notice that your learning curve starts to flatten. It starts to become less and less over time, your learning and your skill and your growth and your development. And that is a signal. That's a wonderful signal. That's when you start feeling like, oh, I'm starting to feel bored in my job or in my pursuit and my mission, whatever that is that you're leading. And that is the time to think about pitching what you have, letting go of this story that's dying and moving to the next one. And those moments of transition is what ideally you would start feeling those identity crises emerging. And that's switch in like shift in values. I'm like, I'm matured beyond what I'm doing right now. I'm growing much more bigger than a person. My potential is rising beyond what my role is describing for me. So this is number two, as I said, number one, feel, sorry, why everything. Mm -hmm. Number two, let go of all expectations. And number three, which is the last one, I'm not going to spend much time on it, is find your community, find your people. Because doing this alone, and I have done it alone for quite a good time. I have communities scattered around, but most of my communities abroad. They're in the US, in the United States. And if you're wondering what that community looks like, you can go to the previous episode. I talked a bit about the World Domination Summit, which is a beautiful community. Um, finding your people and your community is the most important thing to stay consistent and being able to get those glimpses of validation that are very hard to find from the closest people in your life, from the people who loves you and you love them. People who love you, your loved ones, it's very hard to get validation from them or the things that you are trying and experimenting with because the things that you experiment at, and from the word experiment, that means there's a high potential probability of you failing. Man, the loved ones do not want to see you failing. It's very hard for them to see you failing. That means they're going to resist giving you 
bits of motivation and validation because that may lead you to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the risk is going to get higher and then they might feel responsible for your failure. So, but when you have a community and of people who are doing the same thing of what you're doing or similar in nature at least, or trying something new, and they could be totally different people. They could not be a circle of your friends. Better not to be a circle of your friends. Could better to be strangers, people who you met online, never met in person, or people you met in person in advance randomly, or whoever. Like it could be just a, it could be an author in a book. That that could be your mentor, uh, your a solace, your person who you go to back to get that validation from because you feel heard and seen when you read their books or listen to their videos and so on. And I had those mentors. I do not know that I exist, but I they were my anchor. The number three, most important thing, find your community, find your people. So beating them again, because I think repetition is going to keep it with us and with me for myself for the next three days as I exit my 20s. Number one, try everything. Number two, um, number two uh, let go of all your expectations. And number three, find your people, your community. Very nice. Thanks for letting me going into number two and three. Nice. Um, I wanted to actually quickly jump into number two, which you mentioned, let go of all the expectations. And you mentioned about, you know, when you were usually in the job two, three years. And I guess many are aware that after two or three years, they're kind of stuck there. They know that they might need to move on, but they don't know where to move on. So many might end up staying where they are because they don't know to go what would you tell them not in form of an advice but what would you tell them to to do different and they feel okay i'm now in two three year period and now i need to move to a different job different environment different whatever but i don't know where to go and i'm i'm scared that i will stay where i am right now what would you tell them to to do different Feeling stuck or cornered or surrounded by walls and feeling like the world is shrinking and just just becoming less and less spacious gives us so much fear. Like there's so much fear that comes in our body that we feel so strongly. And that happens when we are in a space where it's like, extremely familiar like we're used to it we're done with it there's a bit of fear that comes from the safety itself it's once again there is fear in the safety which is weird to say really like i repeat it again because i found it weird saying that the familiarity and the safety becomes super super dangerous because you feel like oh is this life is that it all? Oh, then what am I doing? Like, what's the purpose of my life? And that's when the question starts coming at you. And already the space is anyways so tight and, and so like closed down and life is closing down on you. So asking even those questions and cluttering the mind in such a small space where like you're unstuck at my job. And I also questioning my job. I'm stuck at my job, number one, which I'm stuck. I can't do, I can't go anywhere. Nine to five, I have to show up at the time. I have to leave. And then there isn't enough time to do stuff after, after that. And then in addition to that small space, 
I also ask questions of like, what should I do even when I get those hours in the weekend? What should I even do in my, I don't even know what my other interests are in addition to my job or what I'm doing right now or what I'm not doing. And, and, and you, anyhow, it doesn't have to be that we should be doing something to feel the shrinking in space. And so what I am signaling and paving the way to say is that when life shrinks in size, when life closes down at you, it's an invitation for us to rise. It's an invitation for us to evolve and go to our next level of consciousness or of life, whatever you want to call it, awareness. It's like a leap. I think of it as a leap. Because when you're leaping into something that's far in distance away from you, it's far that you don't even know what it is, but you're leaping anyway. And that leap is not necessarily, I'm not talking about a time leap. I'm not talking about something that happens within a second or a day. It could happen within a leap. It's something that happens within five years. Totally fine. That's still a leap. Because you could transition to something over the next five years that you don't know where you're going to. But then the invitation, this closing down on you, life closing down on you, being an invitation to evolve and rise to the next level is the best ever thing that can happen to you. So coming back to the original question, saying, what do I do when I'm stuck? Or like, what I'm like, the way that I'm phrasing the question and looking at it, saying that I am stuck and I don't know where to go from here, and that sucks. The way we phrase and frame this story about our life creates so much um, despair and so much pessimism. Like, I, life is dark and I don't know where to go from here. And then that's a miss, that's a half story. It's not a full story. But to say that this holds true, and in addition, I'm stuck. And also, this is a signal for me to grow and leap into something that I do not know. If I, would, didn't, if I did not feel stuck when I was in my 25 years old, I would have never met theater. I would not have never leaped into self-development, human development. If I didn't feel stuck where, like, years ago, at the time when I wrote that last chapter in, in the episode that we've done, Confusion, finding clarity in confusion. Mm -hmm. If I didn't feel that, I would have never started what I started now, the human lab. I would have never, I would have never evolved into what it is now. I would have never left theater. I would have stayed in theater and it would have depressed me. And it actually, uh, a lot of, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome being in the space where they're in a space of creative um, creativity and creation, but they're not getting that validation. So that made me feel hurt emotionally. But I left theater because that story was dying, and I would have never launched into the next thing if I kept onto the whole story of telling myself, I'm, I'm stuck, and that's it. No, I'm stuck, and this is a great signal. I'm so honored to be stuck. I'm so honored to feel all these difficult emotions because they're signaling to me it's time for a leap and evolution. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that at that transition, that identity crisis opportunity, you connected yourself a lot with nature. 
uh, early 2019, you spent a lot of time at nature, just trying to be yourself. Um, can, I, can you tell us a little bit more about that time in spring 2019 and the following months? How did you, how did nature help you to, I would not say come out of the crisis, but maybe moving forward? I love that period. It was one of the most difficult times that I've been through in my 20s. It was a time, as I said, when I was feeling repeatedly sick and um, every, like all kinds of sickness that you can think of were coming to me and at me and in my body and in my heart and even in my mind. I said something that this is a time when you're feeling this, like feeling this life is closing down at you. And then in addition, there's so, the mind is working so hard to solve this problem of life is shrinking at you. Like the mind thinks that it can really, it's you through your head. You think you can solve this problem just as it served you before, but you can get out of this closed space that you're in. And so this, there's a huge amount of clutter with so many ideas, and it could be even lack of ideas, but so much anxiety about life right now and life in the future, and even resurfacing of the past. So much of the past starts surfacing in this time. So it's an emotional time that is cluttered with all kinds of thoughts and feelings. Even traumas get triggered at this time, which is a, a real blessing to be able to see those traumas that you've been carrying with you but never really addressed or seen or faced head to head. So the best thing that I think ever done when I felt through the identity crisis is that I went into a space of silence, a space of nothingness. When there's so much going on, the best thing to do is do nothing. And also, I heard this in theater, in the theater world, which I love, don't know who said it, but they say when there isn't enough time, the best thing to do is to slow down. When, there, when, when there's so much going on, do nothing. And when there isn't enough time, slow down. And this is like the opposite of what your mind can, it's, it, your mind can never come up with that as a solution. Like it will also you so much to do, do more. Not enough time, come up with time, be productive, be efficient. Yes. But then this goes against every single belief the mind holds true. You, um, it's interesting that you mentioned um, so often we have to go against the, you know, the forces. Um, in one of the coaching sessions a couple of days ago, um, I had an image with one of the coaches, and I don't know if you know the Chinese finger trap. Do you know the Chinese finger trap? No. Can you tell me about it, please? Google it. Google it afterwards. I think you will love it. So basically, it's kind of a plastic paper thing where you connect two of the fingers, but they are connected. But you, when you want to disconnect, so literally when you wanna disconnect the two fingers, usually you pull them out, right? But that actually makes the the trap more tighter. That means in order to disconnect, you actually have to start first 
be connected in okay. order to loosen that kind of paper so that you can free yourself. And that's very interesting. You can Google it afterwards. And that's kind of very similar to what you said. You know, usually we, when we, we feel trapped, we try to, to exact the opposite. We overthink more and overthink more and more and more and more and more and more. We do exact the opposite um, of what we should actually do. Um, but you should, sometimes it's worse to drive against what maybe society, maybe common sense tells us and then we will find out a way out. And that's very similar as a kind of a symbol. It's like the Chinese finger trap. Um, or for the listeners who currently heard that as well, just Google it. It's a great metaphor as well for life if you want to release yourself in, form, in that sense with the two fingers. Um, our instinct says you have to pull yourself out, you know, against each other, but actually you have to go towards each other in order to release each other. And that's a very interesting concept. Um, something very similar what you mentioned as well, that we have to, um, not just the space of silence, we have to slow down in times where we don't have time, but actually we do exit the opposite and that helps us. I love that. I love that. And that's a wisdom that our body and heart holds. Like it's just, it's inaccessible through the mind. And the mind is not evil. Like the mind is, we're not talking about the head as the, you know, the, the thing that we want to avoid or no, actually we want to give, give a big hug to our, just like the heart and the mind when then the brain, when they're trying to compete on and the memes on social media, like we want to give a big hug to the mind and say, I saw what you've been doing and I've, so, I've seen how much you've served me, but it's time for you to rest. And when we go into that space of silence, it's kind of like a big hug. It's a big, really warm hug. And that hug comes not, not from like just to yourself, but also it's received from what's surrounding you. So the best places to spend in silence at those times are places of nature. A water body, a tree, birds, a forest, any anything you know, like uh, just looking at the sky and just grass just sitting on the grass i i love those moments because those are the moments when i am fully as i said about interconnectedness it's, these are the moments when you really really recognize and acknowledge that you're not the only person out there alive or human beings are not the only beings that are alive and that everything is alive around us and that, that huge hug that we give to each other and that connection we build and we weave in life is so necessary for us to evolve. And it's not, as I keep saying, leap, evolution, and those words are used a lot in, in, uh, in like science. And because I think they're, they're also words they use at a personal level and also used at a wider universal level if we're talking about us being interconnected with nature. We're all evolving. If we don't allow nature to take place and space in us, if we don't allow, when we say silence, that holds so much in that silence, um, in that space where nothing happens, if we don't allow it to, to be embraced, it, it, we will not embrace ourselves. We will be more stuck, more cluttered, more anxious. Mm -hmm. And it's tough 
super tough and i just want to like give a last note of like super tough super difficult to be in that space of silence not easy it's not all shiny it's not like meditation like it, it's made it definitely it's a form of meditation to be in that space in silence but it's not the way that meditation is sometimes framed as like visualization beautiful images and not necessarily um we're talking about like we're i'm talking about months of tears and crying and crying out everything and and whatever you want to call it things were coming out from my body from all places um big, big it's like sweating yeah. um like this feeling of like things are leaving me like totally leaving me right now and it's hard difficult for things to leave us because that feels like death mm-hmm. to, leave, to be left or to leave someone like you love is like a death to you or to them and the same applies to when our identities or parts of our identities or what we thought were our, were our identities when they leave us that means parts of ourselves are dying it means we're dying and we're also saying goodbye to to a part that's dying like imagine two people dying and and splitting parts yes it, it, it's the worst feeling ever that can you can ever really embrace and experience but once in once it's experienced fully and embraced of course they can they can always go for professional support it doesn't have to be something you do alone you're encouraged to have that support i i refer to trees as my therapist trees and nature but also there are beautiful beautiful professionals out there who really help in that space holding that space for you to be there to fully embrace um whatever that you're going through in that identity shift mm. i think you mentioned um and i know because i know you for a while that the symbol of the hug itself it's it's not high valued in the society we talked about before covid-19 um even so no no it is but you obviously you can't do that to that extent um i want to talk with you a little bit about 2020 earlier early 2020 um that transition were hacking became prohibited more or less were um were everything which connected us in an authentic way not via online video calls were kind of prohibited were kind of not allowed anymore how was for you the first few months of the year 2020 talking about february march april how was the time for you and how did that evolve into your work as your company super tough very difficult in march i um, received calls from all my clients informing me uh, at the, at a, i'm talking about a business level to start with i received call from all my clients informing me that they've delayed all the work that we had planned for march april and may and um they said postponed they did not say canceled but then we didn't know what we were expecting like expecting exactly to come our way how long it will be lasting but over time over the following two months there was this feeling of like oh things will come back to normal things will come back to normal but it didn't come back to normal and that postponements became cancellation and life as i thought would look like when i was just about to 
kick off my new story with the human lab was completely shut down. That was a complete um, frustration for me. And once again, I was thrown, I felt like I was thrown, not by choice, um, right away into that space, back to that space of like, oh, my story that I was working really hard to you know, um, receive is also dying again just after launching it um, just recently. Because I just kicked off and relaunched the human lab again after I came back from that, you know, the space between the stories. And so I spent the following months, um, I live with my parents, so I left the following months with my parents um, and also being with them quarantined and also this, there's this like feeling of anxiety, like a group anxiety. And as a family, we are very connected. We're close to each other. So it was kind of contagious, like to each other, where if somebody feels anxious or panicked, everybody else feels that as well. My sister is a doctor. She works at a governmental hospital. So she was going every day onto the front line, coming back at home. So there was that, you can imagine that level of panic that was also being brought back into home. I really love my sister and everything she's doing. She's just a wonderful, resilient person that I never imagined myself being in her place, in her shoe, doing all what she's doing. Um, and uh, so there was this panic that I wanted to numb and just not feel. And that threw me into a couple of months of numbing myself, completely just binge watching probably every single series or movies that I've ever wanted to watch over the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, if you want recommendations, I finally was able to catch Breaking Bad, uh, <laughs> catch up on Breaking Bad and catching up on Game of Thrones. And um, yeah, I do plenty of like series, movies, recommendations that definitely would go for Quentin Tarantino's movies, violence. I wanted to channel that violence that was in me during the quarantine and that was really helpful. And uh, yeah, there were, there were plenty of like really fun times of numbing myself that I appreciate myself for doing, being kind to myself. Even at the time I was kind to myself, I was like, this is my time for myself for not doing anything and just forgetting all the feelings that I should be feeling right now. Uh, up until July when the quarantine, um, the restrictions were lifted on the morning and so that was my time when I was able to go in the morning to connect with nature because summers are really the worst time. You can't really go out. You can, but you can't with, like, withstand the weather, the hot weather. But then they, um, the hack is that you go in the morning, 5 to 7 a.m., you'll catch relatively better weather. But then there was a restriction. We can't go out until the restrictions lift, uh, lifted in 60, at 6 a.m., but as soon as it was lifted back in June, I think, can't remember exactly the date, I immediately the next day started going in the morning, 5 to 7 a.m., connecting with nature, starting my day with nature, and then started re really working again on the human lab and um, rechanneling again what the human lab should look like, which was completely different than what I planned to, for it to be as an identity back in March. And where is it now, human lab? Where is it now? Oh, God, I'm going to no, summarize I'm... it because it is yes. super exciting. And um, our team, now we're a team. I was alone working on this, actually working with, a, with my designer. She's a wonderful designer um, and a wonderful friend who 
um, we worked together back in March. And then after that, we grew the team. So we had a stop in the, in the COVID time. And then in July, we re-kicked off everything and relaunched. And then two, two new team members joined. So we are now four. And what we did is that we changed everything in the human lab. And the mission became about building connection in the MENA region. So two big changes that happened. Number one is shifting away from building experiences of and designing the experiences of the unknown and focusing on personal development and moving towards creating uh, experiences of connection for people to be able to find belonging to, with, to themselves and connection with themselves, others, and the world around them. Um, and so we do uh, two main things. Number one is we create interactive group experiences that are online, which I never imagined myself going online. Um, I was anti-online. Anti I was completely with just doing in-person events. Um, but once I was forced into that space, I found that the space of uh, the virtual space, it's not really virtual. It's live. It's alive. Um, if the technology is used in, a, in, a, in the best way possible, it can really be beautiful experience that you can build for people. So we build interactive group experiences where, where we use games and activities as a way to facilitate connection and belonging between people. So far, we have delivered um, um, over 10 group, 12 group experiences so far uh, for 267 people in total just within the last two months. Um, and we're still continuing and there are plans to grow and increase more of those group experiences and have more people access them. And then the second thing is that we started creating content, daily content, where it combines um, Arabic and English language, both is bilingual content um, that focuses on emotional and social health in the Arab world. And so we focus on language um, that we use, we focus on cultural behaviors, we focus on inherited ancestral, intergenerational, individual traumas, and um, it's a very trauma-informed work where we really deep dive into the psychology of what makes us um, se feeling separate and lonely, and how can we build that connection and uh, togetherness with others. So that content is out there. It's daily. You can follow us on Human Lab X. Um, that's uh, on Instagram, and I'll share more details with Danny as well on this. Lovely. I can put that also in the show notes afterwards, the links. Um, lovely, Nasa. Um, in the last few minutes, I want to quickly look back actually last two years. Um, we talked about the identity crisis, opportunities, the spaces between the stories. Um, but also what kind of that forced space, what you mentioned, you know, COVID-19 enabled you to, to see different areas in form of like online trainings different now. When you look back the last two years since the last recording in May 2018, how would you call that time? Would you say that is, uh, that's one dedicated chapter or there were two dedicated chapters? What, how would you summarize the last two years? What is that? One, two chapters, what is it last two years? They were, I'm counting them in my head right now. Uh, they were four chapters. 
There were okay. four chapters. Okay. Yes. I need like we don't have time for this. You can four go chapters. Ahead. We can we can make them two you, chapters if you want. If you but want. Just yeah. In a, roughly, the first chapter is the chapter. It might be a continuation of the last chapter we stopped. Of having. course, could be. Um, finding clarity in confusion because I continued uh, with. So I stopped. I would say it's a different chapter, and that chapter is about. Um, quitting. I would call it quitting, or I would call it. No, I, would, I wouldn't call it quitting. I would definitely call it a space between the stories. I think that's a better name. Um, it's a space where I let go of everything that I had and completely gone into a space of um, reflection, healing. And then uh, that was for six months. I'd say between March up until kind of like October when I came back. I spent two months in the U.S. as well um, at that time. Um, and then the the next chapter is I I would say it's the chapter of self reflection um, and writing. I say written self reflections because I started reading re, uh, sorry writing a lot on my blog, and I I became active on my blog writing daily and continuing my connection with nature and channeling whatever wisdom that I received during that period. That continued up until March, so I'd say another like five months or six months. And then I attempted to launch. That was a brief chapter. So I'd say this chapter is like one line. It's not even one full page. It's like one line within a page. It could be an empty page. It can be, yeah. In it. yeah. Um, it could be something like a line where it says, I'm about to, and then dot, 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 and it ends. Uh, and so that chapter is about um, just, it was just about... Uh, launching a new story or receiving a new story. But yeah. the beauty of it is that that new story turned out to be not really the new story. Maybe it's a, a version of a story that I thought was what I was about to receive. And then the next chapter is about COVID. I, uh, I don't want to call it COVID because that's going to just it's been taken already. The, the word, the word is already taken. <laughs> it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a new idea, to be honest. <laughs> I say joyful numbing. Joyful numbing. Okay. Yes. That, I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. And um, would you say you were still in the also difficult. I'd say joyful and joyful and difficult. Joyful and difficult numbing. That's what I would call it. And would you say you are still in the middle of that chapter? Uh, that now is a new chapter, which I started in July, which I would call it... Um, I love this term that is um, that, that Charles Eisenstein um, who obviously influenced a lot of my work. Um, he talks about interbeing and this idea of, um, of being interconnected with the universe. That it's not about that we want to be interconnected. We are already interconnected with the universe and everything that's alive around us. So that is my chapter that I'm going through, and all my mission and work is about that. Interconnectiveness. I would also call it, I would say, interbeing and um, courage. Interbeing and courage. And courage, courage, yeah. Because courage. I'm really yeah. stepping into spaces that that are really difficult to step into. I find myself super, super challenged and uh, limited. In myself and this like I feel like I want to go beyond a space that I that I 
think I can do. And it's a very big topic. I'd say this is another book, but pretty much <laughs> I feel so restricted at the moment and in the way that I approach life. And I think that there is a huge growth that is coming my way in the coming months that I'm really excited about receiving. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I, I say it's also like not all colorful and shiny and beautiful. There's a lot of hard work and it's really tiring process as well, starting something new. So keeping my patience and also, yeah, nice. staying close to my people. Nice. I know you have a hard deadline now, so we, we're just about to wrap up. I have one last or actually two very quick last questions. You know, when, when I'm in the library and I want to pick your new book that with the dirt on, on the cover, and you're usually in a library, you're, you're listening to some kind of library music. That moment I pick your book, what kind of music you want me to listen to? Oh, I've been listening to this song recently. Um, I don't know if that suits it or not, uh, but I would say that this is the one that I would choose. It's called End of the World. It's an old song. I don't know if you ever heard it. I'm happy to play it if you want, or just send a link where you can play it. Um, it's for Skira Davis. And uh, yeah, just let me know if you want me to play it or I can send you the link and you can play it. I can put it in the show notes. Just Absolutely. Otherwise, I because I know you have the hard deadline, but I can put it in show notes. So I will hear this sure. song, End of the World, and I pick yes. the book. And, uh, the End of the World. That's end the, of the, end that's, of the world. That's yes. piece of music. It's really a beautiful piece of music, touching. It's not what you think it is. It's not the end of the world, the whole world. No, it's not that. Um, but it's, um, it's, um, it's a, a song that Skira Davis wrote when she lost her father, when he passed away. And um, yeah, it's beautiful words, and I think it's just um, it really, really, really reminds us of that life is uh, ever changing. It's always going to be shifting, uh, um, not just at these times, but it will always be, even at times of what it feels like stability. And that this song is that grief that we continually um, and will always hold within ourselves, feeling sad for what we lose. But then at the same time, their life goes on. And so that's the, what the song is about. The song is about that life continues to go on. Um, why does the sun keeps on shining? Why do the birds keep on singing and so on? That's the kind of thing like the world will keep singing and the world will continue to evolve into more beautiful worlds. Even if we feel, and especially when we feel grief of losing what we are uh, losing right now. Beautiful. I think this is also this could be the song for your audiobook, more or less, if, if your book has been read uh, and you heard that as a background. That's beautiful. NASA, thank you so much. In 2000 years from now. In 2000 years from now. It will be yes. Yes. It's like it will be discovered and it will be dusted and yeah, it will be long, long in the future. And in the museums uh, of Yes. What happened in 2020? Not in a library, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, Nasa. Thank you so much. I know you have to go now. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. It was lovely actually listening to what happened the last two years or over two years since the last recording. And I think, as you said, you know, it's crises should be seen as opportunities um, and be involved every time. 
um, if you think we might reach a specific point where we have to change, I think it's kind of a signal from our gut feeling as well. And I think this is very important. Wherever we are, in what stage in life we are, it's super important to be aware of all these signals. Thank you so much, Nasser, for your time. Thanks. Um, stay healthy. Uh, stay positive and humble as always. And yeah, see you next time. Thank you, Danny. This is beautiful. I love the conversation and everything in it. Thank you. Thank you, Nasser. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Wow, a lot of changes, right? Keen to see how we all go through an identity crisis in this exceptional pandemic times and how we transform ourselves to become our true self. You can find more about NASA on his website nasaral.com or on the website thehumanlab.net. A quick teaser for the next Lifebook episode 30 with Yip Ta, founder of Mindful Coaching Academy. Till then, stay healthy and make the most of your time. Never give up. Always look up.